Welcome to Cinema Bushido. I'm your host, Matthew Whitaker. With me, as always, is my <laughs> bitch from another snitch, Mr. Lee Van Cleef. How's it going, Lee? Every day's a holiday. How are you doing today, buddy? Oh, excellent, excellent. And with me, as well, is uh, is my recurring guest. He's uh, he's recurring in the same way that uh, my constipation is when I'm not drinking. Uh, Mr. Stephen Chow. How's it going, Stephen? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for having me. It's a very interesting introduction. Yeah, I, I wasn't prepped for it all. That was all just kind of off the top of my head, and you can tell. <laughs> yeah, if I if I could Monday morning quarterback, I would say he was the Globe Theater to our London. <laughs> very nice. Very nice. Um, yeah, so tonight we are um, we were switching gears to a, um, a, a different uh, genre of cinema than anything that we've done before. I'd say that's true. Yeah. We are um, we are moving into the '90s Japanese. Um, it, it actually started in like the '60s, and I really feel like it got its its height. Even though they're still doing some pretty good ones now, but it was the whole uh, corrupt police yakuza um, genre of Japanese films, and in particular, Takeshi Kitano's Hanabi. So um, uh, now that we are uh, a trifecta, um, I would like to start with Stephen here. And uh, Stephen, what did you think of Hanabi? I I, I really enjoyed it. Um, it. It's a very interesting blend of, uh, of of kind of different genres, I suppose. It's it's a yakuza movie, and it's it's really quite violent. Um, but at the same time, it's sort of a sweet uh, love story um, between. Um, Mr. Nishi, uh, played by uh, Beat Katano, and uh, his wife, who's who's dying of leukemia, um, and also it's it's strangely philosophical in that it's about um, you know what you do or how you choose to live when all the things that are important to you are taken away. Um, so you know, Mr. Nishi, he he no longer has anything to fear because he's got nothing to lose, and so he you know, lives a free life and does terrible, violent things to people when they anger him. Um, it, you know, it gives him that freedom. Um, but his his uh, colleague, Horib, who also has lost everything, um, contemplates suicide and then ultimately um, falls in love with nature and, and, the, and the beautiful things in the world around him. Um, so it's a, a very interesting film. I, I really enjoyed it. No, that's a perfect summation. Um, it hit absolutely exactly how I felt about it too. Um, hey, Lee Van Cleef, um, uh, you told me yesterday that you were giving this a run in, and I think maybe, uh, this morning, how, how did it go? Um, uh, you know, the first, I'd say 50 minutes, I, I was just really struggling with the pacing um, the last, the last uh, forty-five minutes to an hour are, are brilliant. The ending's brilliant. Um, I can't, I can't really def- deviate from what Stephen said. I, I just felt that 
Um, it was an okay movie. Uh, there were there were streaks of brilliance in it. Um, my favorite parts were when I'm gonna call. I don't remember his name. I'm gonna call him B, and his wife Bay were together. That was my favorite parts of the movie. Um, otherwise, I, I think there was just uh, it, it tried to be it tried to be too ambitious in the different and maybe too artistic at some point in the first 45 minutes to an hour. Um, it, when there were violent scenes, they were they were done beautifully. But it wasn't. Uh, it just wasn't my cup of tea. At the end of the day, I mean, I, I mean, I would say it's a movie that you should see if nothing else for the ending, which was probably the best part of the movie. But in general, the I would say it was not like a seminal classic. Like I, I won't probably be watching it again anytime soon. Yeah, I had a feeling you were going to say something along those lines because I, it had its um, its small scenes of absolute violence, and then it had other scenes of beauty and the pacing was very deliberate like it was meant to kind of build the relationship between everybody um and it in the beginning it's kind of hard to understand what's happening because we're flashing back to something that hasn't happened yet they did it in a way that um we weren't we don't see it done that way all the time it's usually the transitions are much more obvious look at like the most obvious transitions ever in like something like highlander where you your parking garage turns into you know some ancient battlefield in Scotland or something like that, or this, it's a lot of the same stuff happening. Um, and the, in the music kind of, uh, doesn't even change between like flashback scenes, but it was very interesting. Um, I, and exactly what uh, Steven said, it's a guy who's used to being in control of everything. And then he loses his daughter and his wife has cancer. And, uh, even in his job, he thought he was kind of the best. And that's why he, in one of my favorite scenes, he, uh, the perp is walking up to some magazine stand and out of the blue, he just kind of leaps out of a window at the guy. Like, I'm not even going to wait for backup. I'm such a badass. I'm just going to totally win. And of course that went completely South on him. Uh, his friends get shot. His other friends are already in the hospital. So at that point, um, I feel like he just stopped giving a fuck. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that, that that's right. It's, and, and that's all the way th- through the movie, isn't it? That, uh, you know, uh, how, how you behave when everything's taken away from you and, and you don't care and you have nothing more to lose. And, and uh, Nishi, played by B. Kitano, you know, through the movie he has guns pointed at him, you know, at any moment he could die and he doesn't even flinch. Um, it's an interesting take. And then, you know, you've got his, uh, his sort of ex-partner, Horib, who completely goes in the other direction and uh, he, he finds other things to care about. Um, it, it's it's in, an interesting film, but I, I know what Lee's saying about the pacing. I I struggled the first time I watched it. I did struggle with maybe the first half an hour or so with with the flashbacks. It's it's very very complicated um, and quite difficult to understand. And but I don't, I don't mind that. I'm happy to revisit a film and you know try and try and pick it apart and understand it. And and the deliberateness of the pace it didn't really bother me. I mean, but because it is a film as much about violence as it is about beauty. You know, the the film kind of lingeringly looks at you know flowers and and the tide going backwards and forwards, um, which I guess is a you know a metaphor for you know the end of somebody's life, kind of sitting at the you know on the beach and staring out at the tide. Um, yeah. So you, know, you notice fine. that time that the tide comes up and hits his feet is right about the time of his first suicide. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, you know, he he um he he's a man who um this is Horib who f- sort of thinks he has everything and then the moment you know the moment he's injured and he's paralyzed everything's taken away from him and he he becomes or he's revealed to be a, a very weak man. Um but then with a little bit of prompting from Nishi he 
he finds you know he finds a meaning to his life um so yeah it, it's it's interesting yeah what i liked about the the confusing part because i i have seen this a few times and i feel like the first time i was kind of like what but watching it again um it's kind of like anytime he's he's just pondering things it's like a flashback of the bullets going through his friend and mm-hmm. i just thought that was really powerful um afterwards but um yeah there are a few things um, this movie is full of one of my favorite things, which are uh, Columbo-esque scenes. <laughs> it's somebody yeah. thinking he has the upper hand on uh, on Kitano in this case, so um, uh, Nishi. And, you know, first time, you know, he's pondering his friends getting shot, and the guy comes up, he's like, yeah, you're not even a cop anymore, you're like a bitch. And, you know, like, uh, chopsticks <laughs> right in the eyeball, and the other guy gets beaten to the point that his mouth is gushing over overboard with blood. I just, yeah. yeah. I love those kinds of things, it's just ridiculous. Yeah, it's there right from the beginning, though, isn't it? When he's he's uh, there's that guy like with his uh, sushi thing on his on his the hood of his car, and he kind of looks at him like, you know, what are you going to do? And then it, it's brilliantly cut together because you don't actually see the violence; you just hear a punch, and then the guy's cleaning the, the hood of his car, <laughs> and then he's against the bonnet, and he just for no reason except for spite, he just sort of kicks him again, and he sort of slides off the bonnet. <laughs> it's uh, beautiful. There's so many moments like that. Uh, that was actually my favorite scene, that opening scene, because it's like that mundane wide shot, and these mundane-looking men with lackluster like appearance, and the way the scrubbers kind of like slapped on the windshield, and the caveman like approach to the uh, to reaching the windshield, you know, where he gets on what you call the bonnet, we call the hood, and and it's like you can hear him like bending the the, the metal as he's getting on their knee first, and then he slips, which should have been an indicator, don't do it again, dumbass. And then he repeats, and then that's when he gets B kicks him right in the ass. And I was like, "Yeah, you're." It was like it was like it was as if to say, it was as if to say, "Dumbass, don't do that, dumbass." You know. Uh, so I love that scene. B for me was pretty interesting. I, I I one of the things I didn't really like about this movie was outside of B and his wife Bay, I couldn't really care about most of the characters. Um, but when I when I looked at B, B was a really great character. He really held the movie together. Come on, and he, they made Horibe like so pathetic. The I guy mean, in the it, wheelchair. Yeah, but I, I mean, he it was boring, and and, <laughs> <laughs> and and B's like like think about how boring and morose and not in like it's like it, the thing is is that it was a failed attempt at like making it like making you empathetic you know and b is like he's got this like tattered gaze that only uh, like tribulation could forge you know and he's got like these glimpses of like like violence and when he does they're like swift and brutal but paradoxically that's commensurate with his tenderness with his wife so you have like on one hand the ability to like in a flash of an eye like totally maim somebody and then in another flash of an eye like love and love a woman in a way a man should you know and he often you know he tilts his head forward a lot throughout the movie and it's like this intense and this humble gaze you know and it it kind of like it's kind of like he's got in general the guy the actor has like a he kind of reminded me of like if bronson and uh and De Niro had a Japanese baby, he'd be that guy. And he's got, like, this really candid gaze, like, in the French sense, like a simpleton's gaze. But his smile is, like, pure mischief. He very rarely ever smiles. But when he does, it's, like, absolute mischief. And I, I thought, I, I absolutely love the character 
of B. But I, I, I mean, I, I mean, he was one of the the massive bright spots. I, unfortunately, the rest of the movie didn't have a lot of that in it. Yeah, I think that's the. I think that is the point. I mean, this is his like headlining movie, and this was his first. He before this, he's he's been around for a really long time, and he's known for those weird facial quirks, and he doesn't talk much. It's it's a very cool persona he has, but this is the the first kind of like it isn't just a pure blood and guts uh, copy Yakuza film. Um, this played at Sundance, and it was more. How can I take those two genres and put them together? And since then, he's done the same thing. So maybe you would not be into kind of his his uh overall overall work uh you'd be like uh maybe i like some of the older stuff that's more uh you know blood and gutsy but yeah it's a there's a, there's a lot of um artistic nature in fact all of the paintings that you saw in this in this film um were all painted by him see i was wondering why the paintings were like kind of forced in there because it was it was like it jarred me out of the movie right like <laughs> i'd see these paintings and i'm like oh yeah i'm on my couch again and it like just totally took me. I was like, "This? Why are they using this as a transition?" And now I see why, because it's it's about vanity. Good for him. But the, I, I I mean I was gonna say what, one of my favorite moments in the film, and I, I suspect then it, it isn't going to be yours is uh, is the moment where Haribe um, is kind of outside in his wheelchair and he he looks in at a flower shop and he sees all these flowers. And then you get this uh, a fairly long sequence of just showing these paint paintings um, of like animals with flowers for heads, or like even a, there's one with a person for for a, uh, with a flower for her head. And I thought that was really clever because it's like he he's a, a man really without a purpose in life, and he's I think at this point he has attempted suicide, and then he's he's seen these flowers. And he's sort of struck by the simple beauty that exists in the world. And then he associates, or I guess we're led to believe from the way it's structured, that he associates um, these these flowers with beauty everywhere. And, and that's why we get these pictures of, you know, a person with a flower for their head. And so it's a kind of like one... It, it lets us know that he's had a sort of psychological awakening or a spiritual awakening. And it also allows us to know that these are the pain, you know, this is the moment of inspiration for his artwork, um, the artwork that we're seeing now, but that he's not going to make until later. So I thought that was really clever. And it's really clever the way the film plays with time. Um, and I, I think the, the reason why, for me, it's a good movie is because it isn't just this kind of violent Yakuza movie. It, it has got these separate paths of people who are in sort of similar situations who do totally different things. And so you get the the man, um, you know, um, Nishi, who cares very much, but he doesn't care about the consequences anymore. So he loves his wife um, very, very much, um, cares about his friends very, very much, but he doesn't care about what happens to himself. And so this is how he ends up. And then you get Horibe, who is totally lost and then finds meaning in, in nature around him and so that's why you get this weird dichotomy where you, you end up with like incredible violence but on the other side the movie's quite slow um, and you know is quite static and, and ling has all these lingering shots of nature it's, it's a it, I keep saying it's a, it's a really weird blend but I think that's why for me that's why it works well so I agree with you on the that scene I, that scene so for me completely different from you Lee and this is just the way it's going to go for this uh, this flick 
I, I thought it was very feel-good at those moments. I mean, it, when they showed the paintings, I loved the paintings first off, and I thought they were really great. And I like, um, you know, they all existed ahead of time. So when he was putting together this movie, he thought about how the scene would be best staged to put that piece of art. And I liked it for that reason, you know. So there's like a geisha within the Yakuza um, headquarters, and there's the, the angels in the hospital, and there's a lot of that stuff, and, and yeah, I loved that scene when he sat outside the flower shop and he started looking at the different flower shapes, and it showed that he transcended his, like, I'm a cop and I'm a cripple and my family's left me, and now he's this he's this other thing. Well, I understand the intent, don't get me wrong, it's just, it just wasn't very you didn't like it. inspirational. It yeah. wasn't, yeah, it didn't move me, you know? Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, I, I, it just didn't, I was like, oh, okay, but... It just felt, felt kind of shoehorned in, and I was like, it just it, like there was a there, throughout the first like I'd say fifty minutes of the movie. There's a, it, they do a terrible job of establishing not only the yakuza but all the other ancillary characters that we're so eventually supposed to care about, and it was just really staggering to me that, and I, I actually I was actually really stunned at the at the way the movie changed once it became more of a love story. I would have actually preferred this movie to be about B and Bay in general and like and like maybe he's dealing he's a, a yakuza guy who's gonna go right and 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 you know do right by his wife before they both commit suicide i, I mean that to me would have been a more a better movie because my favorite parts of the movie were when it get, when it shifts from all these other people who i really don't care about and who are never really accurately defined in the movie as my dad forrest whitaker would say I want to hear your favorite scene. Uh, well, I think uh, the first one would be uh, outside of the opening scene. That was hilarious. The little, little boy and the grandpa, and he's like, "No, you know, you got to wait to hear the gong bell." <laughs> and you just know, you just inevitably know right then and there that uh, that uh, you know that B is gonna is gonna ring that stuff. You know, because he's 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 mischievous. He's ultimately got a, a streak of mischief in him. Yeah, Stephen. Favorite scene? I want. I want. To, I want to go through. Um, since Lee, um, I get that you didn't like, and a lot of it had not a lot of impact. But yeah, those particular moments. I love that you grabbed a moment. Um, you brought up the flower shop before, Stephen. Um, do you have an another? I, I have several favorite scenes. Actually, it's it's a film that's full of very nice um, and memorable moments. But I just the the the, the bell ringing scene. Actually, I, I was thinking of that as well, and. The reason I like that, and it sort of fits into the situation that the character's in, is that he no longer cares about the consequences so of, of anything, really. Um, so, you know, and, and he knows, because his wife's dying of leukemia and his, his daughter's died, that you're better off just doing things you want to do right now, because you don't know what's going to happen. So when that, the kid's grandfather said, you know, you'll hear it later, uh, for me, um, Nishi's thinking... There may not be a later. Let's just do it right now. And so he jumps up there and starts banging the bell. And so I, that that was a really, really nice scene. I like that one too. That's um, awesome. Yeah. But um, other scenes. My my favorite moment in the film. Um, I guess it's that whole. And Lee seemed to have liked this a lot as well. It's it's the whole sequence of events where um, she's with his wife. And he's just trying to make her happy and show her a good time in her final days. And each individual moment is like meant to be perfect. Like they set off fireworks and they, you know, they go into the, the snowy area. And each one of these moments goes wrong. But the fact that it goes wrong makes it 
perfect in some way. Um, and they don't get angry with each other. They just kind of laugh about it. Um, and there's that sense that they've, they've got this long history with each other and they're completely comfortable with each other. And they don't really need even have in-depth conversations with each other. You know, they can go out and something can go hilariously wrong and they, they just sort of look at each other and giggle and you, and you get this sense of a, of a, of a long relationship and, and lots of love. And, uh, so that, the whole sequence I, I adored, but there's one moment in particular where they're standing together and they're about to take a photograph and she puts her arm around his arm and he shrugs her off. <laughs> and it's like, you know, it, it, that one moment tells you that they've, been together a long time they're totally comfortable with each other there's nothing really that they could get angry with each other about and that they have all these like you know habits and um strange little you know intolerances with each other that are embedded in their relationship but that don't affect them anymore and so that just that one moment you know just immediately gave a sense of a, of a long and loving relationship but yeah that, that that whole section was my favorite but that that moment in particular i think is my favorite moment in the film and then, yeah, in each um, moment that there's kind of the, anything joyous happening, <laughs> we have uh, we get approached by people wanting revenge for the mistakes he's made. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And he's keeping them at bay, isn't he? You know, he's, uh, you know, the moment they try and disturb him, he sort of beats them bloody or kills them or whatever, and then goes back to his wife and, you know, they carry on fishing or something. <laughs> yeah, in fact, he even brutalizes, he brutalizes that uh, the fisherman... Uh, Maybe he wasn't fishing, but he was criticizing um, the his wife for um, trying to put flowers, dead flowers, into water. Yeah, yeah, that's another great scene. What about yourself? You know, um, well, I guess if I went for a favorite, um, I told you the first act of extreme violence, which was just ridiculous. Um, the yakuza coming to get their payment back and the the uh, chopsticks in the eye. Um, mm. Definitely the the fisherman. Um, I think he he was fishing. I think that's where they got the fishing rod um, and line that they are using later. I'll have to double check that. But I thought that was a really funny scene. You know what's going to happen the moment he's just uh, telling her that pretty much that she doesn't matter anymore because she's not, you know, she's dying. You know, she shouldn't be put on water herself was the idea. So she's trying to take these flowers and put them water in a in a vase or whatever and he's like that's the stupidest thing ever you know you don't dead things aren't going to come back to life so you get that the the illusion there's that um that she doesn't matter that she's already dead and of course he yeah. punishes him hardcore for it mm -hmm. that would probably be one of my top scenes yeah and and then he's cowering on a rock in his underwear with his socks drying next to him isn't he <laughs> yeah yeah exactly that was awesome yeah yeah it's great uh i guess my last scene would be in that sequence again where they go to the snowbank and you know we've all been married and you know when especially when you have to take that role and and take care of your wife you know and inevitably when you go some like when you're on a long road trip here in the states in particular you always they always have to go to the bathroom and there's like nowhere to go so you're always <laughs> like yeah i will watch your back you know and then, like, you hear that you don't get to see it, but you hear this audible, like, crashing sound, and then all you can see is her beanie. And, uh, you know, and she's so adorable. She's, like, prouncing about getting to, getting to go up the hill. And you you just know by the way she struggles to get up that hill that it's not going to end well, you know. And that, I mean, like I said, that whole, I mean, I couldn't help but smile the whole time. That's so, that whole second half of the movie 
was uh, was my favorite part of the movie and made it a great movie. And the ending, of course, which we'll probably all talk about, was, I mean, yep. that was that was Parks and Lots. Well, I think it's time. Um, I, uh, I mean, there were so many of the the smaller scenes, um, uh, the card guessing game. That uh, just really made me laugh. <laughs> As Stephen pointed out, the the fireworks. There was always something going on with them, and it really was a very very sweet relationship. Um, obviously, the yakuza coming in again um, up at the snowy hotel, and uh, that was brilliant. You know, <laughs> he just he handles it. I was like. I'm like, oh my god, he's going to get shot here or something like that. That's typically what happens, right? He's comes out, she's laying there. I thought maybe this is when she dies. This guy comes up and it's the gun situation. Okay, now he's got the upper hand. He's got the gun. He goes to the car. I thought, all right, he's going to manage to shoot like two of them or maybe all three of them, but he's going to get shot himself and maybe he'll go back in the room and they'll die together or something like that. But not at all. He just goes ahead and cleans uh, the slate again. <laughs> He, yeah. kill, he kills them all. I just, I thought that was fantastic. I'm like, wow, yes, this is, so we're going to keep moving. It was a road trip movie, and I never wanted the road trip to end, and it didn't end, right? So it was then we're on to the next part. Mm. It does end. It does. So let's talk about the ending. Uh, Steven? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's uh, again, it's that strange mix of, of uh, humor and, and romance and violence um, because there's that, you know, just before it happens, um, they're, they're, they're flying a kite with a, a girl that they've met on the beach. And, you know, she's trying to fly the kite and he's trying to help her, but he doesn't let go of it and the wings tear off. <laughs> and they're laughing. And, you know, I, I love that. It's, he knows what he's going to do. He knows what's going to happen. Um, but, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't necessarily care. He's reached the end of the line and he's just enjoying these last moments. Um, and I, I love the, the words that his wife says to him. And I think they may be the only two words she says in the film. She just says, thank you. And then she says, sorry. And then she puts her head on, on his shoulder. And it's like she's saying thank you for, you know, the whole life that they've had together and for for the happiness that he's given her in the the last, I guess, weeks and months of her life and sorry that she has to go. And, uh, and then, you know, the camera, you know, uh, moves up into the heavens and we're thinking that it's the end of the movie. And then when we're really high up, there's that pan to the left and they're off the screen and then you hear a bang and then another bang. And, uh, creates a very very final ending to their story and it's kind of great because it's he doesn't really want to live anymore he's got nothing to live for um and that's why he's been behaving the way he has and and she's at the end of the line anyway and so i guess they're taking control of the situation they've you know they've had their laughs and uh, now it's time to call it a day it's it's powerful yeah um and I think, you know, it's it's interesting that they tried to fool you into thinking um, he might kill his friends because he knew the cops were there and he particularly pulled out two bullets. And it's like, well, okay, so there's two cops, two bullets. Is he going to keep this party going even longer? Um, I don't think anybody was fooled, which I, I'm sure Lee's going to say here in a second. <laughs> like, nice try, but we knew where, they was, we knew where this was going. Um, one interesting thing is the girl on the beach... Um, so, yeah, she's already having fun with the the kite, 
and then he ruins it and she's still having fun with the cake in the same way like it it, it didn't change her level of um enjoyment and you know enjoying life that he <laughs> ripped the wings off of the kite but that's his uh that's Takeshi Kitano's um uh, real life daughter oh really? yes indeed so Lee on to you uh, yeah, I, I like the fact that they give us like this like, sense that when we pan to the beach, it's before they do the deed, it's like this idyllic glimpse of heaven. You know, it's like, it's just a glimpse. You don't get to see heaven, but you get to see a glimpse of it, you know? And and the most simple but most heartfelt dialogue, you know? And, I mean, I teared up. And then they pan out, and you think, you know, we're going to get the, you know, I, I have American proclivities. So I'm like, yeah, the good guys win. But, you know, in the back of my head, I'm thinking, like, this guy committed a bank robbery. He's killed a bunch of Yakuza. Um, you know, you know what, what's really going to happen? And then you hear two revolver rounds, and it, it's something where, like, if you were going to shoot someone in the, in the temple and then shoot yourself in the temple, it's like, boom, boom. It's like that same time, that same cadence uh, in between the first and second round. And, uh, and you realize that, you know, I mean, for me, it just spoke to the fact that when perseverance will no longer render profit, you know, you, you, you let it go. Right. And that's exactly what happened. Like to persevere in this path would no longer be profitable to either one of these people. Right. Because he's already lost his wife or his daughter. He's about to lose his wife. He's already, he's already played all his chips. He's, he's already committed a bank robbery. He's, He's he's made sure that all the all we always look for like equilibrium. We're a creature that looks for equilibrium, and he's already made sure that the scales have weighed balanced because he's already he's already given everybody in his life everything that he needs. All the widowers, all the widows, and 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 his his all partners and stuff. He's given them everything he could, and he's already laid the scales even. And he he's ready to let go and to and to really you know to really shovel off the the tribulation and the trials that he endured and it really what would living really have rendered for this character that would be so worth living other than the gift of life itself which i i, I mean i like like i would have lived i would have suffered through it but i might be more of a of a of a masochist than this character is obviously and um and so he he's just like you know what i'm going to take my dignity and my love and i'm going to walk away let me ask you lee and- i want i want to ask you one thing about that um in terms of him being a a bad person, um, at the hotel, the snowy hotel, he lets the guy whose eye he took earlier live, but he goes ahead and he kills the driver of the car who wasn't armed, or actually he was cowering, hiding with his face in the seat, even though he'd warned him once, if I see you again, I'm going to kill you. But that was a pretty pure act of cruelty, don't you think? Yeah, but I think the thing is, is that if that witness gets back... You know, and like they could, it could cause complications. I don't know. I, I, I mean, they all look the same to me. I'd have shot them all anyway. Well, the I one, the one eyed man does get away. Yeah, and I would have shot him too. Like and he, he tried. He pulled the gun up and he, he let it clip. But I, just, I just still thought it was pretty cruel on that part. I mean, the yakuza nah, are, are disposable I mean, in this case, right? They're all bad people by default. I, I mean, li- listen, like you don't roll around with those guys and not expect to get killed. Right? I mean, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. I thought it was generous of him to, to uh, give him a second chance. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Well, guys, uh, are you ready to go for our top six today? Yeah. I, I did want to... Do you know what, though? I, I wanted to bring up one t- tiny thing, which is 
the, the music in this film is so so great it's it's got a great soundtrack and i immediately thought oh that's the guy who does all the music for the studio ghibli movies and uh, it is it's, it's joe hasashi i think his name is and uh, i just think the, the music is so lovely and it just draws you right in and uh, i think rather like the ghibli movies uh uh, Hanabi is worth watching just to listen to it. It's uh, it's got an extraordinary soundtrack, and I think Joe Hisashi is, uh, if that's how you pronounce his name, is um, one of the best composers in the world. Yeah, I think what the I think what they said is this film was like their um, his fifth collaboration with him. So, yeah, this guy is prolific. Yeah, the music was great, and then I I mean I think that once you get past the first forty five minutes, fifty minutes of the movie, the movie changes, and the movie becomes that artistic thing that it was meant to be. You mean you right know? at the point that he gets the cab and starts down that path? Exactly. That's when the movie becomes the the movie that you want to see. And so obviously you can't skip the beginning because then you won't understand what's going on. But I mean, the the real the point of the whole movie is that a man's metal is neither born or kept by your machinations. Right. It's 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 rather your adversity to them, you know. And, and and that was a great it's a great story. That, that's a great moral that is never going to die. You know, mm-hmm. um, but it, I mean, otherwise, I, I thought it was a, I, I thought the ending alone makes the you have to see it just for the ending. You know, mm-hmm. it's like the sixth sense, right? Like nobody, nobody watches that movie twice, but everybody watches that first time who doesn't know the plot and goes, oh my god, he was a ghost the whole time. You know, so it's like one of those things where you got to see this movie at least once. You know, I can't you just bought the sixth sense for me. Oh, good, good. Yeah, <laughs> the cinemaphile's never seen The Sixth Sense. I, I <laughs> I'm only joking. Yeah, I know. It's okay. Lee, to your point, um, the name Hanabi, um, it's translated to fireworks in, in English, but in Japanese, um, it does mean fireworks, but the way they put the dash in it for Hanabi, um, the Hana means flower, and B means fire. So, like, fire flower is their words for firework. So oh, when, when you see oh. the flowers in the sky as they explode, you know... That's- that's great. That's really clever. Because I, I was thinking that the fireworks, and this, I'm sure this is part of the meaning, is that, you know, uh, our lives are brief and exciting and explosive. Um, but, but also, if you take it, the, the, you know, take the, the literal Japanese translation, then you could say that Horib is, you know, the flower who, who blossoms and uh, Nishi is, you know, is the firework, is the explosion. Yeah. That's, or, that's really interesting. Or B is my boy B who fucks everybody up, and flower is just another word for bay. You know? <laughs> Which is his wife, you know? The bay. His bay was awesome. She she said more with her facial expressions and her reactions than most of the other characters who had lines. 
Patriarchal fucks. Yes. Yeah, their relationship is so sweet because they don't say really almost anything to each other. And yet there's this real sense of camaraderie and love. And the silence that's there between them is there because they're completely comfortable and happy with each other. And you get a sense of who she is without ever getting any real dialogue. Yeah. 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 She's sort of quiet and modest and fun loving. And her eyes just kind of light up, don't they? Um, when he's sort of joking around with her and things, it's just brilliant. I have an, I have a theory. I think she's an actress. Yeah. Get it? Yeah. Get it. So yeah. yeah, they put a lot of things into this into this movie to bring um, bring you just you know joy to you to make you smile. I mean, the whole part yeah. that they wouldn't have even had the scrapyard owner and the weird little guy with the broken headlight and all these weird things if they didn't just uh they wanted you to see some 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 of the violence that happens but they wanted you to laugh at a lot of stuff and we don't see that everything has gotten so serious today um it's kind of a nice throwback to be able to just sit and watch this kind of thing and and grin when you grin and it's not a end-all be-all but i just thought i think it's a gorgeous movie yeah i i I loved it too i i had seen it before probably when it came out and i Probably didn't really understand it, um, but watching it again, I, I was really taken by it. I think it's a, a, yeah, it is a gorgeous film. And it's stylistically quite unusual, like it's quite static. Um, and although it's a violent movie, you often don't see the violence. You know, or you do, but it's like you see the aftermath of the violence. The actual moment of connection, like the punch or the chopsticks going in the eye, it's just missed in the cut. And then right. you see what happens afterwards. It's 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 interesting, um, but about the sort of the the the, uh, the beginning section, I, I I couldn't decide whether it was a total mess and it's really truncated or it's just very clever and you know very a very sophisticated way of of telling a story that I hadn't really seen before, because I, and I may be misremembering this, but there are shots I think at the beginning of the movie where you see um, Nishi sitting on the hood of his car wearing his you know, like really smart blue suit and his sunglasses. And then that's that's the position he's sitting in when he's in that junkyard, which happens probably, what, 30, 40 minutes into the film. And that maybe the reason why that the opening to the movie is so truncated and, and all over the place is because he's remembering these things that have happened. Um, and we're basically the, watching his memories for about the first 30 or 40 minutes. And then finally we catch up. And he's sitting on the bonnet, and and then that's where, you know, time kind of catches up, and we're, you know, it's all kind of m- more linear. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Well, guys, let's top six it. All right, guys. Here we go. We got the top six answers on the board. You guys will like this top six. Um, I'm doing just um, Yakuza questions. Said nobody from Lee Van Cleef's camp ever. All right. Well, you may like this one. Uh, this one's all about Yakuza. So um, number one, I'm going to give it to Steven. He, uh, of course. Yeah, you know the drill. Um, and then we'll go from there. So Steven, the first question, uh, how many Yakuza members are there, give or take, worldwide? Oh, worldwide. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, <laughs> No, 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 wait, 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 I, wait, no, I said that, because um, I, I had official written, no, I'm not going there, I'm saying within Japan, thank you. Okay, um, official Yakuza members. Yes. Um, that's, do they have to, like, pay their dues, is it? Exactly, no. there's, like, there's, like, organized societies that, you know, because if you're not that, you're not really Yakuza, you're, like, kind of just in a gang, and they have a whole separate name for that. Okay, I'm just 2,000. That was pretty a pretty bad answer. <laughs> uh-huh. Like the biggest group has like fifty thousand, 
And there, uh, I think there are like four big, big groups. Um, anyway, it's about 100,000 total. Oh, oh well. Yeah. Um, all right, Lee, this one is uh, impossible for you to answer. Um, good, I don't good. know how to make it nice. But uh, what does Yakuza mean? It means uh, bathhouse not allowed. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> so technically, you got it right. <laughs> Although um, the name Yakuza comes from a game. It's kind of like, uh, you're going to have to tell me, I don't know if you're a game gambler kind of person, but the game is called, I am. It's called o- Ochikabu, but it, it, they say it's the same, a game similar to, Jack, uh, to Blackjack. But anyway, okay. the Yakuza means 893, and it's said to be a losing hand in that game. But another article referenced that the game uh. is more like Baccarat. So is Baccarat similar to Blackjack? No. Baccarat is different in the way that you roll and the way that you move your little thing, your uh, your uh, your roll. So, like, it would be more similar to Blackjack. I wonder if it's, like, a three-card thing instead of, a t- instead of, like, a hit, hit until you're out. And so you bust because in blackjack you your goal is to get to twenty one or as close as twenty one. Right. And like let's say like let's say you get a hand that like you get two cards and it equals like you know either like four or like thirteen, you're fucked, right? Like like your chance because they have multiple decks, so your chances of getting like a shit card are pretty good. But if you get like an eleven, you're great. You're great. But if it's like a three, I don't know what the rules to yakuza are, but. If you if it's like a three card game and you have eleven, you're gonna get destroyed or whatever that number was. It was mm-hmm. pretty small. And if you try to get to like twenty or twenty one, you're gonna just get destroyed. Yeah. So the name itself just is like a losing hand, which is I, oh. think, I think is interesting. Yeah, I like I like the the the, uh, the spirit of it, right? Yeah. Like you, like your life is a throwaway life. Why not throw it away for evil? Yeah, and you know they do things like um, they they do all of these um, humanitarian things, like uh, when there are big typhoons and stuff like that. The yakuza are always like on the front line, throwing all their money at it and all that stuff. And they have their own Japanese term for themselves that means like pretty nice guys, <laughs> and of course the police have their own that means you know. Horrible bastards! I'll have to throw that into the um, into the text of this episode if anybody's, if anybody's interested in reading about that, or you can look it up. But I just thought that was funny that they they look at themselves as like we're pretty awesome. In fact, the biggest group I think is the biggest group of yakuza. They don't um, uh, do any kind of drug related trafficking. They just do sex trafficking and stuff. Like I was going to say if there's any yakuza listening and they want to send me a comfort woman, yeah, exactly. let me know. Let me know, buddy. All right, so this is uh, that is a zero and zero um, num- ep- uh, number three for uh, Stephen. Yeah. What is the significance of chopping off your little finger in rep- retribution for a mistake you've made? Like, where do you uh, think that comes from? Chopping off your own finger. Yeah. Um. You mean like what's the historical significance of it? Yeah, so they still do it today, and it does have a historical significance. But yeah, I was just wondering if you ever thought about that, or if it makes if you if you think about it, what is what do you think that comes from? Hmm. I I have no clue. I mean, uh, I can't even guess. I haven't I haven't got the faintest idea. All right, giving up. Pass. See, I know Lee would at least point put out that uh, like the middle fingers used for butt humping dogs or something, so you tap it off and you lose that <laughs> enjoyment in life, you know, or something like that. But I'm just gonna let you have no answer at all if you don't want one. Okay. Um, the punishment. Uh, so what they say is, um, if you com- fail your t- if if you fail to complete a task or whatever, you have to am- amputate your little finger. This act mm-hmm. makes it so the punished becomes more dependent on his superior for protection. But in the uh, 
Meiji era, that meant the amputee would not be able to wield his sword as freely as he would have with his finger. All right. So it goes all yeah. the way back to katanas and not having that extra bit of grip at the bottom. You've only got the, the three fingers and the thumb, yeah? yeah? Worked for the Ninja Turtles. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Good point. Good point. I, I was thinking about... Um, I was kind of mentally edging my way towards the, you know, uh, people um, not wanting to um, be involved in war and hacking their little finger, or not their little finger, but a finger so they can't pull the trigger, mm-hmm. um, which is, is sort of a similar idea, isn't it? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's pretty good. I'd never heard I, that, but... I thought the idea was that, like, it, it made you a pariah socially, right? Like, then everybody's like, oh, he's got nine fingers, he's he's a piece of shit. Because, mm-hmm. you know, when back in the day when you used to have to shine your boots, you could look at a person's uniform and their boots, and you could know everything about their ethic, right? Like, people who looked pressed and who had shiny boots. Uh, the Oklahoma bomber, the, uh, that, that guy, uh, Timothy McVeigh, the cop that pulled him over, he, looked at, he, he said in the interview, because he, he was armed to the teeth, and he'd already killed cops, and he said uh, the, the state trooper who pulled him over was in great shape, and he had shiny boots, and he was not going to fuck with him. And so it kind of let you know what their mental, what their readiness was, you know. And so for me, I was like, oh, if I saw you and you had nine figures, I'd be like, oh, you're, you're a dirtbag. Well, to that point, Lee, um, if I, in, I live, you know, in um, Portland, Oregon, uh, if I see a hipster wearing a fedora, I don't mess with them at all. Because, you know, that means they're really warped out in the brain and could, could kill me. Or an atheist. That's all that means, right? No, I don't know. There are lots of atheists. All right. This next one is for you, Lee, number four. Okay. What U.S. organization is the most similar to the Yakuza in a finan- in their financial structure. I'm going to say the KKK, because you got to pay your dues. Uh, very interesting. But no, it's uh, Amway, uh, because they are both pyramid schemes. They oh. really are. Oh. It's, it's like if you're like the low, low class uh, um, Yakuza, you're paying all your dues to the higher one, and they want to recruit more on the lower levels. It's your typical pyramid scheme. So I would have taken Amway, or um, what's that other one where they do all the perfume and makeup and stuff? I would have taken it, well, I, but you failed. I said the KKK because I found out through studying about that that, like, apparently, like, like if you just try to leave the KKK, you can't. But if you like quit paying your dues, they say like, "Fuck that motherfucker." <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about money at the end, right? Well, I Voltaire think... Voltaire said that when it comes to money, we're all of the same religion. Oh, you're right about that. Well, we, uh, we're up to number four and no uh, wins yet, which I think is a testament to what a good top six I put on today. <laughs> yeah. Or as, as Stevens people say, he's a real cunt. Yeah. 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 No, I'm enjoying it because I, I'm, we may be doing really badly, but I'm learning something. So okay. it, it's, it, at least it's worth, worthwhile. Right. Yeah, well, this next one's for you, Stephen. Um, I, this... I won't compliment you like that. You know I know you too well. Yeah, no, I appreciate that, Stephen. Um, this one, I like this one. Um, what sport is the most gambled on by the Yakuza? Oh, that's a good one. Uh, okay. Um, that's hard. I'm going to go with... I, I don't know what the, the, the custom is over there, but I'm, I'm going to say cockfighting. Ooh, that's really good. Um, the answer is sumo wrestling. Um, I guess. Oh, yeah. The, the sumo and the yakuza have long been intertwined. Failed sumo wrestlers often end up as yakuza enforcers, and some ex sumo wrestlers have even become yakuza bosses. Hmm. And there's also okay. like a streak of fixing in the sumo thing. Like, yeah. So, like, if like a sumo like is on the edge of being like not like just the same thing as like your guys is like. Um, 
I forget the name of your elite league where like the Manchester United is, but like you know how if you hit the last standing, Stephen, in your league, yeah. your Premier League, that's what it's called. Yeah. Well, it's the same thing. It's the same thing with sumo wrestling. Like if you don't meet a certain standard, like you get kicked out of the top tier. Right. And so, like, if a sumo wrestler who's elite is facing against a guy who's, like, one win away from being kicked out of the elite league, the Premier League, he'll, like, throw the fight. And it's, like, clockwork. Yeah. Do you mean, do you mean the guy that would have knocked him out will throw the fight so he stays? Exactly. So he stays in. Yeah, it's just like a, hey, bro, you know, I'm already in, and I'm better than you. So yeah, yeah there's, yeah. like, a sense of camaraderie among them. Mm. But they don't happened? do that. Sorry. Go ahead. What were you saying? What what happens when they go down a league? They get they do they basically make shit. Like the, yeah. the top league pays, all the other leagues don't. And then, like you said, they become <laughs> they become bodyguards and pimps and shit, right? Because right, okay. What are you gonna do when you're like three hundred fifty pounds of mass? You know, not yeah. much. Yeah. So We're Lee, unhappy. Lee, this is it. This is the final question. Um, let's see if you can win. Hold on, hold on. Let me let me make an altar to my to my boy. I can hear it in the air tonight. Oh, Lord. Okay, I'm ready. Okay. Uh, what um, hugely famous Japanese star has a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame? If it's not, uh, I have, hold on. <laughs> I was going to say Bruce Lee, but I don't think he was born in Japan. He was not. Uh, so I'm going to say, because he was, he was Chinese, right? Cause Correct. He, he like egg bowls and profile rye. So I'm gonna say, hold on, give me a second here. Let me think. Like I, for the listener, I'm not I, like my hands are like on my forty. You know, I I'm would just... I would call anyone else, but you don't even have to explain it. I know you're not googling this, so go ahead and take yeah. a second. <laughs> think about it. I'm just trying to think about who's Japanese and who's famous, or who's a great star and who's Japanese. Because do you want, do you want all... to hear the question again? No, 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 no. Right. Who? What Japanese person is on the Walk of Fame in Hollywood, right? The stars. Yep. Is there a time, uh, there a time limit on the answers here? No, 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 no. Come on, buddy. Come on. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping for you. I'm hoping for you. No, no. I, I'm just trying to think. Like, you know what the funny thing is? Is I can't think it. Like, outside of pornography, I can't think of any Japanese stars. <laughs> and I'm just like... Um, okay, well, like, let, me, let me read it one more time. What hugely famous Japanese character has a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame? character oh first time i said japanese star oh japanese character i'm gonna say uh yojimbo of course very nice uh the i'm sorry steven would you like to try to steal this from him well if you were saying star i was gonna say toshiro mifuna but if it's character uh i've got um, my fingers crossed for you okay i'm gonna i'm gonna get mm. Tomo Arigato, Mr. Robata. Character. Japanese character. Dude, I have no idea. Um, oh, my oh, goodness. You know, Mr. Miyagi? No. Is Mr. Miyagi it? You, can't, it Mr. you Miyagi? can't just to keep... An- I mean, you can't. it's wrong, but you can't keep answering. I'm letting Steven see it. Robate is not Japanese, right? It's Chinese. I don't know. No, Kung Fu is Chinese. Right, and Miyagi is definitely Japanese. Mr. Miyagi, that's the answer. Steve. But that's not You're the welcome. answer. Sorry. He does not have a star. Why Mr. Miyagi doesn't have a star? 
on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. I mean, maybe Pat Morita does. I don't know if Pat Morita does, but Mr. Miyagi doesn't. He was the icon. Like, that's where you get Shredder. Do you guys or, both, I mean, are you guys both giving up, or is somebody going to tell me? I'm, the, uh, I'm the, thinking really hard, but uh, nothing's happening. Okay. It's, uh, yeah. The hugely famous Japanese character that has a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame is Godzilla. Oh! Oh! <laughs> Oh dear! But I wasn't you know, even going the problem with the Godzilla is, is that he he's he's not even close to real. He's just yeah. some he's just some guy that smells like alcohol and desperation in a rubber yeah, suit. That's the point. They they put him on there. I don't know why. Um, I saw that and I'm like, that's freaking fantastic because I love Godzilla. That's a great trivia question. You should put that on Twitter. <laughs> totally, yeah. totally. All right, guys, that is it. We've run out of time. Um, I want to talk uh, quickly about one uh, well, as quickly as we can about Attack on the Movies and uh, what's happening out there and the guide and the upcoming podcast. Give it to us, Stephen. Oh, sure. So um, obviously we're carrying on making the the video reviews. Um, We're currently making one for La La Land and then um, Split and then Transporting 2. The guide is just our sort of A to Z of uh, short, sharp movie reviews, and it really covers everything um, that you could possibly think of. Um, and you know, we're constantly updating that. Um, and the podcast is going to be called the film connection. And the idea is that we take a new movie and then somehow link it with a, an oldie and an old favorite and talk about them for, for maybe a sort of tight 45 minutes. So those are the three things that we're really working on on our side at the moment. Excellent. And then Lee on your side, um, we talked a podcast ago about, uh, the Saturday morning malt liquor round table. Um, at that point we had, you had, uh, finished your first one, which was around, um, comic book movies. And now you have recorded a second. And by the time anybody's listening to this, you should be able to go to analogmayhem.com and listen to at least the one on comic book movies. But what is your second one about? It's the second one's about horror films. Originally, we recorded these mo- these podcasts like a couple months ago, but two things like the editing process for me was a uh, well, a strong learning curve. And then on top of that, the uh, the second part was that I just there wasn't a lot of production values, and I felt like it just didn't uh, you know it just I don't know you know I I don't buy the cheap scotch you know I it just it just felt it just felt kind of like eh. So I wanted to upgrade the production values a little bit. And that's really what's been going on behind the scenes is just kind of like developing things. Um, so essentially they're going to be, I'm, I'm actually inten- intentionally going to release the first episode revamped on uh, the first week of February. And then um, I'm also going to recruit some talent and uh, hopefully we'll, we'll record some episodes uh, this month and uh, have about, I'll be about four or five episodes ahead in the can and uh, release them um, systematically uh, weekly. Yeah, in the next months to come. Well, and I threw that out that it's already out because by the time this hits, this one will be, I don't know, six weeks from now, and by then you'll, oh, have, yeah. you'll have a number of them out. So I know by then you'll by then you'll at least have the first one. Um, so yes, thank you very much, Stephen. Thank you very much, Lee. And until next time.